You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. We're beginning a new series this morning. And if you haven't been to Vintage long, um, just so you know, kind of when I do the kind of teaching schedule, people often ask, how do you put that together? And um, do you do topical sermon series? Do you kind of preach the Bible? Well, hopefully we always preach the Bible. Um, uh, but just so you know, I have like an 80-20 rule. And the 80-20 rule is 80% of the times I preach, I just want to be in a book of the Bible. And 20% will be topical because there's this particular topic that we want to speak about. What does the Bible say about this, right? And so we talked, we looked at the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? But every now, after like four weeks of like the topics, I get itchy feet and just want to get back to the books of the Bible. And it's, it's just my happy place. And so remember we did Jonah earlier in the year. I love that, man. And so I've missed that. So we're getting back to that. And for the next two weeks, we'll be going through the book of John, the Gospel of John. And we're looking at the Gospel of John through the lens of a title of a book that I've loved. We're not going to copy the book, but the title I love, which is by a guy called Tim Keller called Encounters with Jesus. So often when we understand someone and understand who they are, we don't just look at what they say about themselves, but we look how they relate to other people. We look at how people celebrate them. Do you remember when you go to maybe a wedding and someone gets up and talks about the bride or the groom, and all the friends get up and say, I got a story, I got a story. Often you, you get to know the person more by hearing about all these interactions other people have with them. And I think that's why Jesus didn't write an autobiography, but through the Holy Spirit, we have biographies of people's interactions with Jesus. And so the next two months, we're going to be looking at encounters with Jesus, learning about the Son of God through the lens of how He related to people different types of people. And this morning, we're going to start with how Jesus related to skeptics, how He related to those who weren't that impressed, how He related to those who doubted who He was. So, if you have your Bible, let's turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to read first a verse in chapter 1, verse 18, and then we're going to read a story of a skeptic, a skeptic called Nathaniel. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, before we move on, that is the theme, one of the themes of John's gospel. If you want to know what God is like, then actually, finally, we've found the answer. Like, we can have echoes of God in creation, in nature, in good food, in experiences, in beautiful music, we can sense that spirituality, that connection of, oh, I'm in touch with something divine here, but it's still only an echo. It's only an appetizer. If you want to know the person behind that experience, behind that beautiful piece of art, you want to know the person behind justice and beauty and mercy, finally we've discovered who it is. His name is Jesus. As one person said who became a follower of Jesus, I've always known God, I've always had spiritual experiences, but I finally found out who I can thank. It's Jesus. So the whole of John's gospel is, let me tell you about this man called Jesus. 
and how he relates to others. We get to know Jesus by how he interacts with the people around him. So let's begin with Jesus and the skeptic. Beginning in verse 43 of chapter 1. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth! Can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, come and see for yourself, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You're going to see greater things than that. He then added, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel was a skeptic. Digging into a bit more about him, he was a thoughtful student. He was interacting with all the teachers of the day. He was in, interacting with all the disciples of the day, the disciples of John the Baptist and others. In other words, he was like going to college. In those days, going to college meant following a teacher, becoming a disciple. He was thoughtful. He was intellectual. He wanted to know the truth of the universe, the truth of life. But in that, he also had a skeptical edge. He wasn't going to be easily deceived. He wanted to know that this was true. One of those skeptics. And so when Philip comes to him and says, hey, we found, we found the one Moses spoke about, the prophesied one, we found him, is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. You can just hear in Nathaniel's tone in the words skepticism. Really? Jesus of Nazareth? Little Jesus from Nazareth, the son of Joseph? You can almost see him roll his eyes. Nazareth is not the place where we would expect someone to be the king of Israel. We would expect them to come out of a great lineage. We would expect them to be the celebrities of the time, the intellectuals of the time, the leaders of the time. Nazareth was a place where no one would have expected such a figure to come from. Nazareth was this little obscure village, town, about 50 miles north of Jerusalem. It was remote, insignificant, unsophisticated, unglamorous. Not the place you'd expect royalty to come from. Not the place you'd expect or you'd want the leader you're going to follow to come from. Nathaniel was understandably skeptical. How could this be the one we're looking for? How could this be the truth? Doesn't, doesn't sound like it. Now, I have great empathy with Nathaniel because I, too, am naturally a skeptic. 
I was one of those kids in school. I went to the type of school where you grow up, where all the teachers wore gowns, and they all called you by your last name. And think of Harry Potter-ish, right? And I remember the phrase I kept hearing over and over again, every class was, put your hand down, Jones. Because I was always going, but sir, but sir, what about this? And I would exasperate my teachers with my questions. I was naturally going, hang on, but what about that? I once got into trouble, was literally went to detention for asking too many questions. <laughs> Put your hand down, Jones. But that obviously took place in my church context as well. I was raised in the church, but I had lots of questions. And I would exasperate my teachers at school and the pastors in youth group. Totally exasperate them. And I became known as, oh, the troublemaker because of my questions. I remember I almost got kicked out of youth group once because of my questions. Because it was that dreaded talk that every youth group has to have every now and again on sex. You have to whisper it, sex. <laughs> right. And I remember them giving the boundaries. You know, Jesus is... Gift of sex is like a covenant celebration of marriage, and therefore it's best done in that environment. And therefore, until you're in that covenant, it, it's too powerful to use just frivolous, frivolously, etc. And and so we're all going, yeah, 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 yeah. But so, but the real question is, how far can we go? <laughs> right, that's the real question. Right, how far can we go? It's the wrong question, but it's the real question that we have. <laughs> how far can we go? So I was going, you know, <laughs> knees, can we do knees? You know, I was literally was like, but what about, but what about? And then eventually I was so exasperated with my questions, you know, about what about this, but what? They said, look, get, get, just don't touch anything you haven't got. <laughs> can I touch nipples? I mean, literally, that was it. And my father was the pastor, but I almost got kicked out of the church at that point. I was a skeptic. I just, I just thought, you know what? I, I'm not going to, I am not going to just fall for anything. I want to know why. I want to make sense. I want to know it's true. Right? Maybe that's you as well. Maybe you've been taught in church you're a troublemaker. You know, as I was. Scratch too deep, gear, and you'll lose your faith. I don't know if you ever... I, I didn't want to be afraid of going deep. I wanted to know this is true. I wanted to know. I think in our city, people often have that eye roll that Nathaniel had about Jesus, about really? The guy like my grandma went to church? We're, we're beyond that now. That can't be true. But there's something about Nathaniel that said, I, I know it sounds ridiculous. I know it doesn't fit my paradigm, but I'm, I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go check it out. I love his sincerity. His skepticism was honest. But it wasn't cynical. He said, I'll check it out. It seems unlikely, but I'll check it out. I don't know why he checked it out. It could be that 
it was his friend Phil. You know, Phil, maybe he just thought, you know what, Phil's a disciple. He's a fellow intellectual. If he believes it, well, I kind of should check it out. Maybe he was desperate. Maybe it's like, we're under Roman oppression. We've tried everything else. You know what? I'll check it out. Whatever the reason, Phil decided, sorry, Nathan decided to go check it out. It could have been just because, you know what? These claims are so extraordinary. If they're true, it changes everything. I just got to make sure because if Jesus is God, then that does change, change everything. And I need to work out if it's true or not. I remember C.S. Lewis wrote, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And so maybe Nathaniel had been reading C.S. Lewis and going, you know what, it sounds ridiculous, sounds crazy, but I'll check it out. And so off with Phil he went, his mate, to go check out Jesus. And here we have the skeptic's encounter with Jesus. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What a strange way to greet someone. Straight away, Jesus takes the first move, and he says to him, Here's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. It sounds weird until you understand, and everyone would understand in those days, what Jesus was saying. Because Jesus was actually describing that Nathaniel was the opposite of one of the famous Old Testament characters. See, in verse 47, Jesus says, you're an Israelite in whom there is no deceit because everyone knew there was a fake Israelite in the Old Testament who was full of deceit. His name was Jacob. Jacob was comparing and contrasting Nathaniel to this Old Testament character called Jacob. If you don't know much about Jacob, he was the, uh, Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son, the brother of Esau. And when Jacob, it said, came out of the womb, he was deceitful from the word go. You might be thinking, that's kind of like my kid. You know, it's, it's like there's something in Jacob from the word go that was trying to manipulate, trying, trying to deceive. He deceived Esau, his elder brother, out of his birthright. He was full of deceit. And he was the first Israelite because actually God changed his name to Israel. And so everyone knew that he was the first Israelite, but he was full of deceit. But Jesus saw Nathaniel and went, ha-ha, a true Israelite in whom there's no deceit. To which Nathaniel rightly said, time out, how do you know me? How do you know me? How do you, how? See, the word for know there is not intellectual knowledge that you've heard from other people. The word know there, gnosto, is an experiential knowledge. It's, it's Somehow, you, you, can you know the insides of me? You don't know of me, you know me. Like something rang true about that lack of deceit, which something Nathaniel went, hang on a minute, you're reading my mail right now. That is exactly who I am. I'm a, I'm a skeptic, but that's not a deceit. That's not out of anything other than I genuinely want to know what is true. I'm not manipulative. I'm not just cynical. 
You see the real me. How do you know me? Jesus is telling Nathaniel as he approaches that he values his skepticism. He values his natural inquisitiveness. He values his wanting to test the evidence. He values the fact that Nathaniel isn't going to take a blind leap of faith. In other words, Jesus doesn't roll his eyes at the man who rolled his eyes at him. Jesus welcomes your skepticism. It's okay. He doesn't shun you thinking lack of faith. And for a person like me who still has lots of questions, I love the fact that when I approach Jesus with my questions, he's going, bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. You should never be afraid of searching the truth. And the more you search for the truth, the more you'll find me. I love the fact that in my natural inquisitiveness, my natural skepticism of fake, my natural aversion to exaggeration and statistics that deceive, it's why I really struggle with like church annual reports and like Instagram highlight reels. I go, yeah, maybe. You know, I'm just that kind of person. Because I want to know exactly what the honest reality is. And the fact is, Jesus goes, I welcome that. I welcome. Because the more you search for the truth, the more you'll find Jesus. Actually, the more you search for the truth, the stronger your faith will become. People were afraid of when I went to seminary. People who were afraid of searching for truth were afraid of when I went to seminary, saying, yeah, you're going you're gonna to lose your faith. I don't know what kind of faith they had, but the faith I have was built by knowledge, built by the search for truth, historical evidence of Jesus in the resurrection, historical evidence for the legitimacy of the accuracy of the early manuscripts of the, of the Bible. It all kind of, wow, it, it makes sense. Jesus values questions. He values your search for answers. But it also showed that Jesus not only valued Nathaniel's search and his skepticism, it shows that he also valued Nathaniel. He valued Nathaniel. Nathaniel went, How do you know me? How do you like see right into me and see that in me and celebrate that in me? Like, here I am, a skeptic. You've never known me. And I'm coming to you with a kind of skeptical inquisitiveness. And the first thing that you do is celebrate who I really am. It's almost like you created me. And you're excited to see the one you created. It's almost like you look beyond what other people see. And you see right into my soul and go, oh, I love that about you. That's why I made you. Nathaniel didn't realize this, but he's having an encounter with his creator. The one whom, in whom all things were created. 
There are friends in my life who echo a bit of this. Not like they created me, but they, <laughs> they echo when they see me. They see the real me. Do you have friends like that? That lots of people see the stuff I, maybe my mistakes, maybe my failures, maybe the stuff I've done wrong. They see that first. But there are some friends in your life when you walk through the door, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter the mistakes you've made, it doesn't matter like what you said accidentally, it doesn't matter the regrets, it doesn't matter what's happened to you. When you walk through the room, they see you and they celebrate you. This is Nathaniel's encounter with his creator. Jesus didn't look at Nathaniel and go, oh, here we go. Nathaniel looked at Jesus with the eyes of a loving creator being united with his child. Oh, see, I made you, I made you skeptical like that. And I celebrate it. Nathaniel discovers that Jesus knows him the way we all long to be known. Not for our mistakes, not for our regrets, not for what just other people see on social media, but Jesus celebrates us as we approach for who we really are. Now, in my case, when I approach Jesus, I'm thankful that he can see who I really am because often it's buried under lots of other stuff. But he looks beyond it. And when I come to him in prayer, when I come to him on a Sunday morning, when I just come and sit in his presence, what this story tells us is that Jesus is excited to see us because he sees the one he created uniquely and beautifully and even calls it out. I wonder what Jesus calls out when he sees you. Doesn't matter what names other people have given you. Doesn't matter what other people call you. But I wonder what he calls you when he sees you. The name that really is the beauty of who he created. It's why Jesus did this weird thing often. He changed people's names because he recognized you've been called the wrong name. That's not who I created. Earlier in the chapter, he said, oh, no, 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 no. Your name is Peter because upon you I'm going to build my church. You're the rock. But I don't look like the rock. No one sees me as the rock. I created a rock and we're going to get there. See, Jesus sees who Nathaniel really is, who he created, and he celebrates it and calls it out. Remember Gideon in the Old Testament? A warrior, but really he was just hiding. He was afraid. And from an insignificant tribe, and yet God came to him and said, you're a mighty warrior. What, me? That's who I've made you to be. When the skeptic, when you come to Jesus... He knows you intimately, and he knows the beauty of who he made you to be. But not only skeptics, but for you and me. I don't know. I can be afraid sometimes to come to church. I can be afraid sometimes to pray because I think, oh, no, but I've messed up, right? I'm covered in all my behavioral stuff that I know he's not pleased with. I think Jesus is going to see that first. What we see here. is he doesn't even call that out with Nathaniel. He celebrates the one he's created whenever you come into his presence. 
It says this, while Nathaniel was approaching. That means he was far off. See him. The true Israelites, you've got no deceit. <laughs> Imagine being celebrated every time you come into the presence of Jesus. Despite what you've done, despite where you've been, because you are his creation, beautifully made. We've been absolutely broken and tainted by our own things and things of others in this culture, but he looks beyond that and celebrates you every time you come to him. Nathaniel discovers that Jesus knows him the way he longs to be known and loved the way we long to be loved. Then it goes on. And Jesus says, well, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you under the fig tree. See, Nathaniel's going, how do you know me? Time out, how do you know me? He goes, well, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip came to you. Again, a strange thing. To which Nathaniel goes, oh my word, you are the son of God. You are. You are the king. So something's happening here that we have to dig deep into. That Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And that immediately meant, Nathaniel went, you are the son of God. You are. So the question is, what was happening under the fig tree? <laughs> right? Something was happening under the fig tree that Philip wanted to keep really secret. Really secret. No one knows that. That is my non-public space. That, what happened there, I want no one to know. But you know. You know. You know, and you still called out the beauty and the trueness of who I am and not what I was doing under the fig tree. You see, we all have this separate life, don't we? We all have this life we want people to see and the me we want no one to see. A life that happens under the fig tree. The life where we go, but no one will love me if they see this. No one would like me if they see this. This is where I actually am safe just to let it all out, but I don't want anyone else to see that. We curate a public image now heightened with social media, and we hide even more our life under the fig tree. And could it be? Could it be, Nathan says, could it be that you love me even though you see this? That you accept me even though you know this? That you welcome me even though I've done this? Could it be you love me that much? That I, before you, don't need to get my act together before you love me. I don't need to clean my act up so that you will love me. I don't need to get it all right in order for you to accept me. That for some reason, you know what happens under the fig tree, and yet you celebrate me coming from afar. What kind of love is this? We all have a life under the fig tree. 
Because we know that we'll get rejected. We know that we, maybe people won't honor me. Maybe people won't accept us. But Jesus tells us we don't have to be that way with him. He loves us exactly where we are. He couldn't love us more than exactly where we are under the fig tree. Now, he loves us so much he doesn't want us to stay under the fig tree and to be free of whatever it is that's keeping us under the fig tree. But we don't have to hide because Jesus says to all of us, I see you under the fig tree. It's okay. This is the love of Jesus to Nathaniel. Nathaniel's blown away. <laughs> you are the God I've always been longing for. You are the King of Israel. But Jesus goes an extra mile. He goes, oh, dude, you believe because I told you about the fig tree. That's awesome. But you haven't seen anything yet. He said, I are you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, but you're going to see greater things than that. This isn't just simply I know you and I love you. This isn't just a story about you. He says, there's a much bigger story that I want to bring you into. There's more than just this, oh, I have a God who loves me and knows me and accepts me for where I'm at. Jesus goes on and says, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Again, that makes no sense, right? Unless you know Jacob in the Old Testament again. He says, look, let me tell you about Jacob again. Do you remember back in Genesis, Jacob had a dream that somehow the bridge between God and humanity would somehow one day be closed. That at the separation, because of our own rebellion and evil in the world, that God, there's a separation between us. And that one day there will be a bridge, there will be a ladder. This dream was of a ladder in the Old Testament where a ladder would bridge the two once again. See, back in Genesis chapter 1, we were created to be in intimate connection with God. That's how we were created. That's why we all have a longing for the spiritual, because we're made that way. But through our own evil in the world, there's this separation. And we long for that separation to be bridged. And Joseph, I mean, uh, Jacob had a dream of one day a ladder would connect the two. It's called Jacob's Ladder in many popular songs. We think the ladder is needed. And so we have all these moral performances, right? We have all this, well, if I'm good enough, if I, if I climb the ladder of morality, maybe I'll get there. If I do this and do that, if I'm a good Christian, if, I, if I'm a good citizen, if I, I'm a loving person, all those things are good. But is that the ladder? And the problem is over the last millennia of human history, we all know our morality, our behavior actually we can't bridge the gap. And so Jesus quotes Jacob and says, there is a ladder. Then he twists, he kind of changes the Old Testament passage to actually say what the ladder is. And he says, heaven open, I see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
which is Jesus' own definition of himself. In other words, he says, Nathaniel, don't you get it? We've been longing for the ladder to come. I am Jacob's ladder. The bridge has come. It's not your moral performance. You'll never make it, bro. And that will just lead to a humanity either of pride or depression. The only way this bridge can be, the only way this ladder can come is not from the earth up, but from heaven down. I am the ladder. This is why I've come. And I think probably Nathaniel finally understood, huh, so that's why you're from Nazareth. Because it's not about a ladder of prestige or performance or significance or being respected or wealthy of having your stuff together. It's not the ladder of celebrity or beauty that gets you into that wonderful eternal life with God. It's when we admit we're all really from Nazareth. He's come to the broken. He's come to those who know that we need a rescue. He's come to those who know that we don't have it all together and we just want to be known not for our fakeness, but our reality. We want to be valued not just because of our failing performance, but just for who we are. Huh. That's why you're from Nazareth. This is the gospel. That he has come not to reward our performance, but to give us his. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.